Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your frozen of a host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries, with my lovely wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hey, Gary. We kind of live in Florida. Why are you so cold? Well, I would claim it's the air conditioning, but after writing this story, you'll find out why it's a little bit chillier in here than it usually is. Oh, dear. Yeah. Before we begin, I do want to remind our listeners in Central Florida area that we are going to be attending the Spooky Empire Conference on June 17th to the 19th this year. It's going to be held at the Wyndham Orlando Resort in Orlando, Florida. We have our own table, so this is going to give us a chance to talk with those interested in cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. We are also planning on bringing some surprises that you just don't want to pass up. So, if you or anyone you know in the area have a taste for horror or science fiction, tell them to come check us out and visit us at the Spooky Empire. I'm going to make sure that I have a link for more details in the show notes. Moving on, for our humor of the week, Goldianne, do you know why everyone loves the Minnesota Iceman? Um, because he's so cool? Because he was a cool guy. Nice. See, you're getting better at this. I am. I'm trying to harness my inner dad joke person. Well, today you got it right on the button, so congratulations. Nice. As a disclaimer... Today's episode contains stories about hunting and a dead body that may be disturbing to some listeners and might amuse others. (laughs) We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, if you are ready... Let's take a walk within the mist. In the 1960s, a man by the name of Frank Hansen started touring around the American Northwest with the body of a Bigfoot that he had frozen in a meat freezer. Nice. For years, the thing has been exhibited in carnival sideshows and state fairs around the United States and in Canada. It had become the subject of a bitter feud between its owner and government agencies. It fueled arguments among scientists on whether it was an incredible hoax or a fantastic anthropological find. Now, there are certainly a few different origin stories for the Iceman, including at one time the owner claimed that the body had been discovered floating in a 6,000-pound block of ice off the coast of Siberia. It was found by a Russian seal hunting vessel or possibly that of a Japanese whaling ship found it. Then, it was confiscated by the Chinese government before it ended up in a deep freeze facility in Hong Kong. Are these true? The story has quite considerably changed until the owner finally came forward to give his own personal account in an article of Saga magazine. Today, we're going to tell you his story of the Minnesota Iceman. Awesome. This sounds like it might be exciting. It's definitely a mystery. Okay. So it it does have a lot of twists and turns for you. And we'll begin with Chapter 1, The Hunting Trip. It was 1960, 
and Frank Hansen was an Air Force captain and pilot assigned to the 343rd Fighter Group in Duluth, Minnesota. He only had five years to go until his retirement as a 20-year career officer, and he was looking forward to the quiet life on a small farm in southern Minnesota. He enjoyed being stationed in Duluth as the hunting and fishing in northern Minnesota was considered the best in the world. Minnesota, don't you know? I do know. Now, during the 1960 deer hunting season, he was staying in a small resort on the shores of the Whiteface Reservoir. This is located approximately 60 miles north of Duluth, where he was staying with three others as members of his hunting party. Hansen had not spotted a deer on the opening day, but he was confident as the four of them left the cabin on the second morning. He sat motionless on a hillside overlooking a pine-crested thicket within a narrow neck of the swamp for almost two hours in the cold, with no success. He was about to leave for another location when his movement at the edge of the swamp caught his eye. His pulse quickened as he thumbed for the safety catch on his hunting rifle. A large doe, partially obscured by a cedar tree, was staring directly at him. Suddenly, a shot echoed from the other side of the swamp, and with one frightened leap, the doe dashed out from the thicket and headed straight towards Hansen. He raised his gun into a firing position just as she spotted him. He fired as she reached the edge of the trees, and she fell headlong onto the ground. He bolted his rifle and tried to get off another shot, but the doe was back up, and ran into the heavy brush before he could take aim. He walked towards the thicket where he discovered that the wounded doe had left a clear trail that led straight into the swamp. It was against his better judgment, but he decided to follow the trail for a short distance into the swamp. He expected her to just be lying just beyond the next bush. Poor girl. This story is going to divide people, you know, from hunters against non-hunters. Oh, yeah. But in the case of Hansen, after an hour, he realized that even if he did find the deer, it would be impossible to pack her out. He decided to retrace his steps out of the swamp and was stepping over a small cedar log when he heard a strange gurgling sound just ahead of him. Cautiously, he eased his way towards the sound, only to freeze in utter horror at the sight in front of him. In the middle of a small clearing were three hairy creatures that at first looked like bears, with two of the creatures on their knees tearing at the insides of the freshly killed deer. Well, at least somebody got to eat it. These two were definitely working hard on it, hmm. as the deer's innards were scattered around the clearing, and the things were scooping blood into the palms of their human-like hands to raise to their mouths, swallowing the liquid. Gross. The third creature was about ten feet away, on the edge of the clearing, crouched on his haunches. Obviously a male of similar stature as a man, but it was no man. Absolute horror gripped every muscle of Hansen's body, as if his body had turned to stone as he stared at the scene before him. Without warning, the male that was watching over leaped straight into the air from its crouched position. His arms jerked upwards high over his head, and he let out a weird screeching sound 
just as he started charging towards the hunter. Hansen later stated that he did not remember aiming his rifle, nor did he recall pulling the trigger, but a bullet must have slammed into the beast's body as blood spurted from its face. Aww. The huge creature staggered, seemingly stunned. Hansen did not recall the shell ejecting from his rifle, nor did he recall firing his rifle again. However, in many sweat-drenched nightmares, he would vividly envision the blood-covered face lying on the ground beside the deer. The other two creatures seemed to have vanished into thin air. Hansen turned and started to run over the swampy terrain, not knowing or caring in which direction he ran. His only thought was to get away from those horrible things as he stumbled, fell, picked himself up, and fell again. He was convinced that the hairy creatures were right behind him. Finally, he fell onto the frozen marshland and just laid there, waiting for the attack to happen. He was completely exhausted, not caring if the creatures caught him. Because he deserved it. His mind did blank out for a few moments until, finally, he regained his composure with only the natural silence of the swampland around him. He wondered if he hadn't fallen asleep and dreamt the whole nightmarish thing. Regardless, he knew he had to find his way out of the swamp. His compass, which he had borrowed from one of the others in the hunting party, was next to worthless, and so he realized he was lost. He raised his rifle and fired three rapid shots into the air to signal that a hunter is in trouble. Nothing happened. He reloaded his rifle and fired again. This time, returning shots echoed in the distance. The lost hunter moved in the direction of the shots until finally he heard someone calling after traveling a considerable distance. He finally emerged into a hilly clearing and saw a group of other hunters standing around their camp. Two of the hunters volunteered to drive him back in their automobile, but it was past noon when they arrived back at the parked truck. The other three members of his hunting party were there awaiting his arrival. On several occasions that day, Hansen started to mention his harrowing experience with the hairy creatures to his companions. He wanted to confide in someone, but he kept quiet. With military retirement less than five years away, he was afraid he might lose everything if the story got out. He had fears of being labeled mentally unstable and unfit for flying duty. Or worse, he could be kicked out of the Air Force on a medical discharge. His mind reeled with the possibilities, with everything becoming unreal and totally incomprehensible. We'll be back after a quick break. Greetings from Film the World Podcast. I'm your host, Trick O'More. I would like to extend an invitation for y'all to come check out our podcast. We take a look at book reviews, one a week, movies, music, pop culture, and UAP. Our hottest download is Dreamland from George Knapp's Bob Lazar Saga. Thanks for checking out Film the World Podcast. Wow. But, you know, you don't blame him. You know, who's going to believe him? Exactly. And even if they did believe him, he was lost in the swamps and unsure of what he saw. Right. But 
we'll continue on with Chapter 2, The Return to the Swamp. The hunting party returned home, and Hansen spent a month wrestling with his conscience. He had been troubled with migraine headaches several years previously, and now they returned with a pounding intensity. Rather than seeking medical help, he swallowed dozens of pills every day. He knew it was impossible for him to continue to fly until the mystery of his experience in the swamp had been resolved. Therefore, he watched the weather reports closely, waiting for a heavy snow. This would provide him good tracking conditions to enable him to backtrack in his own footsteps. On the 29th of November, it happened. The weather reported five inches of fresh snow in the white face area, with a warm front moving in on the following Friday. The snow would be slowly melting, making it ideal tracking conditions, and by now, Hansen had formed a plan. The following day, he took his automatic shotgun, several rounds of double-O buckshot, hooked his swamp buggy to the back of his pickup, and with Mike, his faithful dog, he headed back north to the Whiteface Reservoir. Mike. <laughs> Come here, Mike. Yeah, so Mike would be this, the hunting hound companion of his. Oh, wait. I'm sitting here making fun of it, and we named our Sam. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> okay. Well, in this case, Mike traveled on with this Hanson, and after the buggy was unhooked and the chains installed on the tires... They headed down the old logging trail looking for the area where they had parked their truck during the hunting season previously. Mike, the dog, was trembling with anticipation and Hansen was shaking with fear. It seemed that any mishap could be disastrous for him. It seemed doubtful that any other human would have ever entered this portion of the woods for the rest of the winter to rescue him should he become lost again. He was also aware of the possibility of encountering one or more of the things, and not knowing what to expect created a fear that almost caused him to turn back. So wait, he was taking his dog into the line of fire. Bastard. What do you, that's pretty much what hunters do all the time here. Uh, it's a team, a hunter with his rifle and the dog to smell out danger. Okay. So, no, this is not unusual. In fact, I think he felt safer having Mike as there as a companion. The buggy inched through the soft snow, so Hansen turned his attention to searching for familiar landmarks. After making several lucky guesses at Y turns, he suddenly recognized the small clearing where the truck had been parked just a few months earlier. Again, almost uncontrollable fear gripped him as he parked. His heart raced wildly as he pulled the shotgun from the rack and headed for the old trail that he had taken following the wounded deer. It was difficult to walk as small logs covered with snow acted as built-in obstacles. Once, he fell across a snow-covered log and remained there to rest for a few minutes. Mike, working in his usual circle of tracking, jumped a browsing deer that came crashing through the thickets. That probably scared the crap out of him. It totally did. In fact, Hansen's heart leaped into his throat, and he called softly to the dog, who returned to lick his face, as if he could re-erase the fear from his master's body. It was now almost two o'clock, and he decided to give up. 
Again, he started to retrace his tracks in the snow. He wanted to get out of this devil swamp and back to civilization, moving faster and faster, as he swore he would never set foot in the swamp again. He tripped over a large snow-covered log. When he tried to get up, horror flashed over him as he discovered that what he actually fell over was the top of a frozen human-like form. Hansen realized then that the events of that horrible day a month earlier had been real and not just his imagination. He staggered to his feet, called Mike to his side, and spent several minutes staring at the huge hairy body, ready to run as if it would come back to life. Finally, he brushed the snow away from the head and noticed that one eye seemed to be completely missing. The face wasn't covered with hair, but the neck, shoulders, and stomach all were, and were caked with frozen blood. The creature's left arm was twisted under his body, but he compared the right hand with his own. This hand appeared identical to the hunter's own, except it was twice as large. As he was inspecting the creature, his fear suddenly vanished. He was now convinced that he had not killed a true human being, but something like a man, perhaps some freak of nature. It was six foot tall, hairy, barrel chested, with an upturned nose, large nostrils, and a flat forehead. The creature had prominent eyebrow ridges, a thick neck, and large hands and feet. Hansen examined the poor creature and realized that it was in a perfect state of preservation. He decided that the creature should not be left in the swamp, and he was still concerned with the scandal that could jeopardize his retirement from the Air Force. It was impossible to dig a grave in the frozen earth there, and if the creature was left in the swamp, a wandering hunter might stumble over the body in the spring. There was only one thing to do. The hunter left the swamp buggy concealed in the woods and went back to Duluth with his pickup truck. He told his wife that the buggy had become stuck and he had to have a pick, shovel, axe, and chainsaw. He returned to the swamp the following day and inched into the brush, cutting a large trail as he went. Using an ice chisel from his truck, he chipped and chopped the creature's body from the frozen earth. Loading the creature onto the rear platform of the swamp buggy was one of the most difficult experiences of his life. Yeah, could you imagine moving six-foot man? would be, you know, hard enough, but a frozen six-foot man? And dead weight. Yeah. And he was alone, and he was probably terrified. So, yeah, this is quite a challenge he had to deal with. But he finally accomplished it, and the icy form was laid out on the platform. Hansen snugged it down with cargo straps, and when he reached the pickup, he struggled to transfer the monstrous form to the truck bed. <laughs> so already exhausted, he now had to move it from the swamp buggy to the truck. Yeah, this is exercise for the day. And the week. It was well after dark when he pulled up to his home in the suburban military housing area of Duluth. Better hope no one's looking. At this time of the night, there wasn't. However, 
His wife Irene was almost hysterical when she saw the gigantic corpse. Now beginning to accept the existence of the creature, Hansen convinced her of the seriousness of the experience. <laughs> so now we have the creature at home. Chapter 3, Frozen in Ice. Irene asked about his plan for what he was going to do with the thing. They realized that the ground was frozen solid, preventing him from digging a grave in the backyard. Hansen recommended keeping the corpse in their large food freezer that they had just purchased two weeks earlier and keep it there until the spring thaw. Ew. That's what she said. And after quite a bit of argument, Irene finally agreed to the plan. They put their three children to bed, waited until they were asleep, and then, with the use of the straps, dragged the carcass of the creature into the basement. <laughs> I'm sure the neighbors enjoyed that sight. They entered the basement and bent the creature's arms and legs so that it would fit into the freezer, which had to be very gross. Either the body was still frozen or rigor mortis had set in as this was an extremely difficult task. Yeah, they would have had to break it. Some of them probably did. Both breathed easier when the creature was finally in and the top securely fastened. We'll be back after a quick break. This podcast is the result of years of phenomenological trial and error. It is the product of attempt after attempt after attempt. It is also the product of years of introspective analysis, brought on by the occurrence of the strange and seemingly impossible. It began as an inquiry into the nature of reality. It is not a work of fiction. It is a work intended to be scrupulously followed for the desired results. Only a mind free of any doubt will accomplish the task of synthetically producing a glitch. Learn how, on how to create a glitch in the matrix. Hopefully the kids don't go looking for a pizza. <laughs> it's like, hey dad, I'm going to go get a soda or I'm going to go get something out of the freezer. Oh no, you're not. <laughs> In the meantime, they washed their hands several times and placed their clothes in the washer to soak. Irene was almost hysterical over the thought of having the horrible thing in the basement. She was not aware of what it was, but she was sure of the terrible odor all over the house. They had to open the basement windows for a thorough airing of the frigid winter air. <laughs> The creature remained in the food freezer for almost a month until Hansen's curiosity drew him back into the basement. He was plagued by questions of whether it was a man or an animal, or perhaps it was a cross between an ape and man. In the basement, he opened the freezer and discovered the creature's body was dehydrating, with certain parts of the body looking like pieces of dried up meat. But. He was confident now that it was not a man, and it was not a gorilla, but something in between. He went back upstairs and told Irene of their dilemma, who considered the problem for a moment. Then, remembering lake trout that they were able to keep for two years by freezing it in ice water, they came up with a plan. They started pouring 20 gallons of ice water into the freezer each day, and within a weekend, the incredible secret was now encased in a solid block of ice, safe 
from prying eyes and freezer burn. <laughs> I guess you gotta be careful. I'm not sure why he was trying to be so protective of the body that he wanted to get rid of. Exactly. Now also, to make certain that no one opened the freezer, a lock was put on the door and Hansen kept the only key. When the spring thaw arrived again, Hansen realized he was faced with another dilemma. It would require several days to melt the ice around the creature's body, and in the process, the basement of their home would be filled with the odorous stench. He was also concerned about the danger of burying the thing, as any passerby might see him digging a grave and alert the police. Transporting the body from his home to a gravesite would also be equally dangerous. He imagined a traffic accident with the smelly creature being thrown from the car and onto the pavement, where a police officer would stare at him as he fumbled for some rational explanation. Hansen didn't know what to do. His wife, however, was now accustomed to having the creature in the freezer. So she decided to leave it in the basement and not press their luck. In preparation for their retirement, they purchased a farm near Rollingstown, Minnesota during the summer of 1961, meaning that the creature had been in their basement for almost a year. They couldn't risk allowing a moving company to transfer the freezer, so Hansen rented a U-Haul truck and moved all the furniture by himself. Friends helped skid the heavy meat-packed freezer out of the basement and into the truck. <laughs> a couple of them asked why he just didn't remove the meat first, but he explained that he wanted to keep it cold inside for the long trip to the farm. And he also claimed he couldn't seem to locate that darn key in all the confusion of moving. That's right. I, I mean, mean I've done that. I've been asked to help move couches and stuff before. But I've never been asked to move a freezer with a dead Bigfoot in it, frozen a block of ice before. Yeah, well, that's first time for everything. No, I'm hoping I'm passing on that one. The trip from Duluth to Rolling Stone took seven hours, and the top layer of ice had started to melt around the Bigfoot. Friends and relatives again assisted in unloading the furniture and skidding the heavy freezer into the new basement. Hansen finally breathed easier when it was safely situated at the remote farmhouse and he could get by until retirement without fear of exposure. It was also gratifying to know that it could now be buried at any time in their back 40 without fear of being seen. He was concerned that a power failure might occur, so he purchased a standby generator to cope with such an emergency because you don't want a defrosted Bigfoot in your basement. <laughs> Four years now passed, and in November of 1965, Hansen retired from the Air Force after completing 20 years of active service, and he joined his family at the farm. But he quickly became bored with the inactivity of retired life. He now had plenty of opportunity to read, and for the first time, he became acquainted with the many stories and legends about the so-called abominable snowman. The more articles that the retired airman read, the more certain he became that the thing in the freezer was some type of abominable snowman or a yeti. In December of 1966, 
The creature had been in the freezer now almost six years. Hansen happened to meet a veteran showman who quickly recognized his boredom with civilian life and suggested that Hansen become a full-time showman. He could exhibit the rare antique John Deere tractor that he had acquired and had loaned to the Smithsonian Institute. The tractor had been returned to him from Washington, and the showman suggested he take the antique on a full-time circuit of major fairs. Suddenly, a thought dawned on the retired airman. Perhaps some sort of a frozen hairy creature resembling a prehistoric man might also make for a good fair attraction. Yeah, how do you explain it, though? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> he was concerned about the legal ramifications of having a body, but soon concocted a plan. He decided to create a model of the hairy creature in his freezer, and then he would exhibit the fake for the first year so that it would be accepted by the other carnies as a bogus show. So, in January of 1967, the model of the creature was finally ready to freeze and ice was placed around the model. This presented a humorous moment for Hansen. He rented a cold storage room from a large Los Angeles ice company and pulled in with his monstrous fake creature in the rear of the station wagon. A stunned movie executive happened to stroll by and did several double takes. He was concerned that the model was an actual creature, and he informed Hansen to get the thing out of there before a government inspector saw it and closed them down. <laughs> Hansen was happy because now he realized that his fake would fool some of the people. Eventually, the final phases of the creation were completed, and Hansen placed the ape thing model in a refrigerated coffin that was designed specifically for the exhibit. The coffin was transported to a special show trailer in Los Banos, California, arriving just in time for its debut with the West Coast shows. On the 3rd of May, 1967, seven, almost seven years after he had shot the creature, the exhibit was open to the public for the first time as a what-is-it type of show. He described it as the cyberskoy creature. Hansen would tell the people who came to see the creature that it was found in ice by some Chinese fishermen in the Bering Straits. Sometimes he would change the story, but it always seemed to fool the people. As he continued along with the fair circuit, he readily admitted to the other showmen that the creature was a fake. <laughs> they all knew it all along, and it made for a compelling attraction. They told him that they could tell it was fake right off, because too many imperfections would fool anyone with an expert knowledge of anatomy, as they obviously had. <laughs> obviously. Uh, now the tour continued until 1967 of November, when it closed at the Louisiana State Fair. Hansen returned to his farmhouse in Rolling Stone for the winter. By March of 1968, he had convinced himself that it was now safe to substitute the real creature for the coming fair season. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. So he cut off the refrigeration to melt the ice from both specimens and made the switch working the creature into a position closely resembling the fake by cutting tendons in the arms and legs. He then started the difficult task of creating ice around the specimen. 
After the job was completed, the showman was convinced that this would be the greatest exhibit to hit the fair circuit. And he was right. The 1968 season was one of the most remarkable in history. Physicians, professors, and college students came from everywhere to see his exhibit of his ape man. And they all left to ponder on the possibilities that they were seeing a true missing link. At the Oklahoma State Fair, one prominent surgeon even visited the exhibit on nine separate occasions, bringing a different colleague with him each time. A high official on the state of Oklahoma suggested that they were not promoting their exhibit fully and that they were going too small time by showing it at the fair circuit. At the Kansas State Fair, the county pathologist was so intrigued that he even sent many of his associates to see the creature. Everyone was fascinated. Everything was going great until... Until... Until a psychology student named Terry Cullen became involved. Uh-oh. Chapter 4. Too much attention. Too much attention. How could there be too much attention? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I wrote this chapter just to explain it. Oh, thank you. You're most welcome. I meant too much attention to me. There's never enough attention to you. Ah, that's right. Terry Cullen paid Hanson the attraction dues, and then went in to study the Iceman as thoroughly as he could. Seeing the dislodged eyeball, the bullet wound in the back of the head, and the bone structure showing fractures in areas that were concurrent with a gunshot wound, he concluded that it was indeed a real body. Uh-oh. Colin believed in the specimen so much that it caused him to write letters to the, all the members of the scientific community none of whom responded. <laughs> but that didn't stop him. So then he reached out to Ivan Sanderson, a noted cryptozoologist who had written extensively about the abominable snowman, Legends Come to Life. And he wrote to Bernard Huvelmans, who wrote On the Track of Unknown Animals. Now we've talked about Ivan Sanderson before during yeah. our Yeti episode, so I we do that. know that he has a passion for the Yeti and the abominable snowman. Right. Both of these men did respond, and they called Hansen to ask permission to examine the creature. This was a grave mistake on Hansen's part, as both men thoroughly examined the body and were visibly impressed, but did not make any mention that they would be releasing a scientific report on the creature. Uh-oh. Over the course of a few days, their findings were published. Dr. Huvelmans published an article on homopongoids, the ape man, in a February 1969 issue of the Royal Institute of National Sciences of Belgium. He wrote, quote, The long search for the rumored live ape man or missing link has at least been successful. Ivan Sanderson published another article in May of 1969 issue of Argosy magazine stating, quote, that one look was actually enough to convince us that this was, from our point of view at least, the genuine article. This was no phony Chinese trick or artwork. If nothing else confirmed this, the appalling stench of rotting flesh exuding from a point in the insulation of the coffin certainly did. Blech. 
Hansen's problems started immediately after the publications. It seemed as if every newspaper, radio station, magazine, and television station in the world wanted to verify the existence of the Bigfoot creature. Calls poured in each day from London, Tokyo, Berlin, Rome, and scores of American cities. The Smithsonian Institute even requested permission to inspect the carcass, which Hansen promptly refused. <laughs> he was in a panic. Dozens of scientists asked permission to remove a core sample of the creature, and biologists wanted hair and blood samples. Huvelmans had stated in his article that it appeared that the creature had been shot. This caused newspapers to begin speculating on the possibility that law enforcement authorities should investigate the manner in which Hansen obtained the creature. Uh-oh. I guess it's closing in on him. This was exactly what Hansen was afraid of. An article in the Detroit News reported, quote, If the body is that of a human being, then there is the question of who shot him and whether any crime was committed. The old fears returned to Hansen, and he became a regular visitor to his attorney's office. The lawyer's advice was clear-cut and direct. Substitute the fake model for the real specimen, and then take off on a long vacation. <laughs> this sounded like great advice. So Hansen made the transfer with the original specimen put into a refrigerated van and sped it to a hiding place away from the Midwest. Refreezing the fake model took several days, and it was during this period that newspapers carried accounts of how both Hansen and the creature vanished. John Napier, a pre-metallurgist that worked at the Smithsonian Institute, was then invited to examine the frozen creature upon its return. When he did, he became convinced that it was just a latex model. A fake. Hansen went on to confirm that it was, in fact, just a model, and that he had taken a genuine specimen away from display, fearing that he could be found guilty of killing some form of humanoid. The FBI refused to pursue the case as they believed the creature frozen in ice to be a fake and that there was never any original ape man. The switch to the model explains why, over the years, photos have shown it in different poses. They are obviously different from the original that Cullen confirmed to be a corpse. As the years went by, the pictures began to remove the gory details of the eye and the gunshot wound, and the prominent cracked bone in the arm. Sometimes, the photos would show the mouth being open, and other times it would be shut, which was because Hansen was defrosting and refreezing again between showings. <laughs> Since the discovery that the specimen was replaced with a fake, Hansen has been pressed for the conditions or circumstances under which he would consider giving the original specimen back up for scientific evaluation. Two conditions must be met before he would ever consider such an action. 1. A statement of complete amnesty for any possible violation of federal laws. And 2 a statement of complete amnesty for any possible violation of state and local laws where the specimen was transported or exhibited during the 1968 fair season. This was something that the government was not going to do. Sadly though, the knowledge of who now owns the original body was lost to time. 
supposedly in 2013, what appears to be the original and genuine article was offered on sale online. Today, the supposed Minnesota Iceman is owned by Steve Busty of the Museum of the Weird in Austin, Texas, and certainly looks identical to the specimen discussed and illustrated by the Huvelmans and Sanderson, but has never been verified as a real Bigfoot. Wow, that's kind of convincing. That's really cool. So it's kind of hard to play when was it real and when was it fake and if it was ever real. But that is the story of the Minnesota Iceman. So now in that museum, is the real one or the fake one? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I would think that if it was the real one, that the same situation that happened to Hansen would happen to the new owner. Exactly. And that all these scientists would demand samples. Right. Since I haven't read that happening, I'm thinking that everyone's pretty much accepting it as the fake. That no, there was never a real one? Or that the real one is still missing. It's possible uh, Hanson had buried it in his back 40 and it's buried in his farm. Or it was destroyed in some other way. Maybe the government did get it and now they have it in some secret lab. <gasps> Area 51. There's so many conspiracy theories that could be happening now with the Minnesota Iceman. That's cool. But. If you did enjoy this story, I did come up with a couple movies that I picked out for dealing with frozen Neanderthals, though a movie directly covering the Minnesota Iceman does not exist. On the comedic <laughs> side, we have Encino Man. Encino Man! A 1992 film starring Brandon Fraser, Sean Austin, and Polly Shore. It's the story of two geeky teenagers from Encino, Los Angeles, California who discover a caveman, Brandon Frazier, in their backyard. He was frozen in a block of ice where he thaws out and has to live in the 20th century. It's like every girl's dream. How do you figure? Finding Brandon Frazier in your backyard? Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Brandon um. Frazier for life! <laughs> well, moving on. Okay, sorry. Let's go to the more dramatic. Okay. We also have the science fiction Iceman of 1984. This film stars Timothy Hutton as a scientist who is part of a research team that discovers a prehistoric man frozen in the ice up north. He is resuscitated after being released from the ice. The scientists at the facility want to take him apart to study him, while Hutton's character is trying to protect him as he is still a man. True story. Mm -hmm. I mean... Well, yeah, there's there's one famous scene in there where he's describing, you know, he's he's different from us, but he's still one of us. And so it kind of plays on the society things of it. It's a really good movie. Right. Final opinions. I think we have our final opinions. So do you think it was real or fake? Oh, that's really, it's a really cool story. I would like to go see the uh, one in uh, Austin, Texas. So definitely want to make a trip there someday. That'd be cool. For my final opinions, I think it's probably forever going to remain unknown if this was the holy grail of Bigfoot evidence. Or did Frank Hansen become a true showman and fool people with a latex dummy the whole time? I mean, that's some pretty good fooling. That, that I mean, like nowadays you could do it easy. But back then? Well, he spent a lot of work in creating this model. Uh, according to him, he even went to Hollywood and got some of the experts who 
created models for movies wow. and the La Brea tar pit to help him create this model. So when he went in, he went in full force to create a fake. But he had friends in high places? Or he made friends. <laughs> well, being sure to keep a watch on the settings of the air conditioner, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We would really like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this podcast on to help promote our show. We are also asking that if you subscribe to the Paranormality Magazine, that you give us a vote or two for the podcast of the month. We would greatly appreciate that. We are on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with creatures of your own. Maybe you've seen the Minnesota Iceman during its display during 1968. If so, tell us what you thought. You can reach us on the Facebook page within the Miss Podcast. We are also on Instagram and Twitter, plus we have an email at withinthemistpodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. We love stories and hearing about your own personal experiences. For those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts, we have a TikTok channel which gives a few minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits. We really hope you enjoyed our stories about the Minnesota Iceman, and we'll come again for another episode. Until then, remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everyone. Hashtag Brendan Fraser forever!